0: Who do you want to be with? What would you talk about with those people? How do you spend those, those last moments? What would you hope that they remember from, from your last time together? What, what is it, what is it you, that you really would want to communicate to them? This uh, passage in John 13, as Sherry read earlier, of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. For a lot of you, I I bet it's a a passage that you've read multiple times, or or maybe even if you haven't been to church, I I bet this is one of those Bible stories that you've heard of before. I'm going to start off with with our truth statement um, right off the top. It says, by washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus teaches two important truths, one Everyone needs to be cleansed by Jesus from their sin in order to be saved. And two, every Christ follower is to take the humble position of a servant. My guess is that the second one, that this is about serving, my guess is everyone knew that already, or at least almost everyone. I don't know if we think of the first one, that Jesus is teaching us, that that we need him to cleanse us in order to be saved from our sins. So I'd encourage you to look for both of those as we go through this passage today. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew his hour had come. He knew that the cross was right around the corner. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus, what he was doing was he was, we know he was gathering, he was forming his people. He came to seek and save the lost. So he's gathering his people, and it says here that, that in John 13, he's loving them. Right? He's loving them to the end. He chose to be with these men in some of his last hours. With the disciples, he was going to love them to the end. Or as one translation put it, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So when someone knows that they're about to die, what they do with those last days are, are really telling about that person. What Jesus chose to do at the end of his life, it makes me want to pay attention. Right? It would do us all good to pay attention. Because Jesus knew. He knew he was going to die. He knew how painful it was going to be. Somehow, with that knowledge, he was still focused on his mission. Part of which was preparing his disciples for what was ahead in the next couple of days, but also for the rest of their lives. And I hope that verse 1, if you're a Christian, I hope that verse 1 brings you a ton of hope. Because we see that Jesus, he wanted to love his disciples, even though he had, he had the torture of the cross coming. I know that um, if you love Jesus, you know he loves you. Sometimes you, you know it, it's so clear that Christ loves you. There's nothing that could happen on those days that, that could persuade you that Jesus doesn't love you. There are times when, when we just have no doubt. We know in our mind, we know in our heart that Jesus loves us. Because you've experienced it, you can practically taste it. But there are also times when it isn't so clear. Right? There are times when intellectually you still believe Jesus loves you, but the circumstances don't make you feel like Jesus loves you. They, they don't make it so obvious to you. But verse 1 reminds us that if Jesus loved his own as he's staring down the cross, right, as he was about to endure the pain of the cross, he still had a focus to love his own. So if he did that for them as he moved to the cross, he's doing that for you today. He'll never stop loving you. If you are in Christ, we can rest assured Christ loves his own. If you know Jesus, even if you can't feel his love, even if, even if you can't identify evidence of his love in your present circumstances, cling to scripture like this one. He loves you. Even if you don't see it, he loves you. Believe his word. Galatians 2.20, I love this verse. It says, I've been crucified with Christ It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What an incredible truth that Jesus loves you. If you are his, he loves you with a love that will not be sidetracked by anything. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus knew and he had confidence that the Father had given all things into his hands, which, which means that the Father had given all things under the power of Jesus. He knew Judas was his betrayer. Jesus knew that he was going to go back soon and sit at the right hand of the Father in glory. So John set in the table for us to see how shocking it is that Jesus would wash their feet. Right? When a person of power exists, you don't imagine them doing certain tasks. Bill Gates, filthy rich man. Right? I saw an article uh, this week that he does, his, he, he does his own dishes every night. I didn't read the article because that's the point of it. He does his own dishes every night, and he's Bill Gates. Like That's crazy. You just you, you don't imagine that. I do a fair amount of dishes, maybe 50% of the dishes in my household. My wife might disagree, I don't know, but I feel like I do 50%. Um, and, and I don't mind doing it. Like Sometimes it's pretty nice to have this task that's just mindless, and I can just do it. But I do wonder, if I had billions of dollars, might I outsource that task? <laughs> I can't say for sure. I wouldn't be bummed if I had to figure that out. It did strike me as odd, though, that Bill Gates washes his own dishes. John is reminding us how powerful Jesus is. That God has given him all authority. He has all power. He was sent from God, and after his death and resurrection, he's going back to God. So Jesus, the God-man, is about to do something way more surprising than Bill Gates washing dishes. He's going to wash the feet of his disciples, a lowly, Lowly task. Verse 4 So he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured the water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel. That was wrapped around him. So everyone's around this table and they they didn't sit in chairs around a table like we do. So they would they would like lean against the table, probably on one arm and support themselves their, their body comes off at, a, at an angle with their feet kind of trailing behind them and and Jesus gets up from the table. He takes off his his outer garments. And that act in and of itself was an act of humility it reminds me as john describes it it reminds me of philippians 2 verses 4 through 8 let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found In human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I wonder, as Paul wrote those words, I I wonder if if Jesus watching the feet of the disciples was was one of the moments that he thought of. One of the demonstrations that he thought of of Christ's humility. So Jesus removes his outer garments, and this would be shocking for them. I'm sure as they watched, they were perplexed, wondering, what is Jesus doing right now? and then soon after, what is he about to do next? He ties the towel around his waist just like a servant would. Then he grabs the water and pours it into a basin. And even that, he could have had someone else do that, but he doesn't. He, he pours the water into a basin, and then he heads towards the feet of one of his disciples. I'm, I'm guessing if Jesus that night told them, hey, guys, I have an important lesson for you, and it's you need to serve, and, and you're going to do that, by washing my feet, I'm guessing all of them would have said, "Yeah, that that makes sense." It, it still would have been an extreme act for them because washing of feet was was for a lowly servant. Right? These were the disciples of Jesus. There, there was some prestige, at least in some circles, still, of being one of his disciples. But still, it, it would have been right for them to serve Jesus in that way. He's certainly worthy of being served by any one of them. He clearly was majestic. Clearly. He was and is great. If anyone should be washing the feet, it, it should have been them washing his feet, but that's not what he did. Instead, Jesus, the creator, the one who sustains all things, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the first and the last, he gets down on his knees, and he starts washing the feet of, of these men. And let's be real. Feet are kind of gross, or at least they can be, right? At, at a minimum, I think feet are kind of weird, um, Pedicures, I've never read about pedicures in the Bible, so I'm pretty sure their feet were pretty rough. They were calloused. Maybe some of their toenails looked a little scary. But even then, uh, even, if, even if that's not true, even if somehow they took great care of their feet, their feet were dirty, right? Mixed with dust and sweat. And there's, they're walking through the streets, there's animal stuff. Like their feet were gross. And, and Jesus humbly cleans the feet of these men that he loved, removing the dirt, and, and it seems, and my guess is the room is silent at this point. I went to Bible College. Um, Bible College is a weird place. There's a lot of great things that happen at Bible College. There's a lot of things that none of you can relate to if you didn't go to Bible College. I'm a freshman in the dorms, and my, uh, my RA, right, the guy who leads my dorm, yeah, RA, section leader, I don't know what he was, the guy in charge of me, um, he, he says, hey, let's get together. So this is a normal thing that your RA would do that with you. You get together, you'd hang out. Sometimes you do something, I don't know, go out and do something, grab, grab food or whatever. Sometimes you just get together, talk about life, pray. So I come in really not expecting anything. I'm just going to the room, and, and I open the door and it's like kind of dark in there. And I think, my memory is there are candles, which you know something weird's about to happen. So I opened the door, and our, our dorms were tiny back then, tiny, tiny rooms, and I opened the door, and there's a chair there, there's a thing of water, there's a, like a nice bar of soap, right, like we're not talking ivory, like this is like classy soap, and, 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 then, and then a towel, and I'm just going, what is about to happen to me? And he sits me down, and I don't remember if he gave instructions or if he just starts taking off my shoes and my socks and rolling up my pants, but pretty soon my feet are getting washed. And I'm, I know this passage. It's not like I don't have a clue what he's doing. Man, it was awkward. <laughs> it was really weird. Like, I, I didn't—I'm pretty sure I didn't say anything. I know he said some things— but most of it was a blur for me. I do remember he read uh, the, the verse, how beautiful are, are the feet that bring good news. So I think that was his point. Um, I don't remember how it ended. I'm a nice person, so I'm sure I said thank you. <laughs> Maybe even gave him a hug. But man, it was it was weird. These These disciples, they were used to getting their feet washed. That wasn't weird for them. Like, we're not used to that. They were used to that. But they were not used to someone in higher authority than them washing their feet. So I'm sure the disciples were thinking along similar lines without anyone saying anything. They're thinking, man, regular people don't even wash feet. Certainly this isn't the job of our teacher. This is not the job of the Messiah. This isn't even the job of a regular servant. Like The low servant has to do this. This this, this is weird that Jesus is doing this. Isn't it right that Jesus, our Lord and Master, is doing this? I'm sure the silence existed partially because they were in shock, but I also suspect that's because Jesus was so great. Like, Who's going to tell Jesus, you shouldn't be doing this? Well, our friend Peter, we can always count on him. Verse 6, He came to Simon Peter who said to the Lord, Do you wash my feet? I don't know how he said it, but Peter is, is, is that friend of yours that really doesn't have a filter, and sometimes you hate that, and sometimes it's pretty awesome that you have a friend that will just say whatever they're thinking. Well, whatever, Jesus, or whatever Peter was about to say to Jesus, the disciples knew that at least they would get Jesus' response. They would understand what Jesus is thinking. So Peter, Peter doesn't want Jesus to do this. He, he tests the water. I think he's trying to play it cool at first by just asking, are you going to wash my feet too? Jesus says this to him. He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. I, I just want to pause there for a moment because I wonder how often in my life would my heart be better if I applied those words. Or right? if I imagine Jesus saying, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but afterward, you, you will understand. I, I trust Jesus. Right? <laughs> Even when times are crazy, if I stop, still in my heart, and think, and pray, I trust Jesus that God is good. I trust that he knows what he's doing. When I look at what I know about Jesus from scripture, if I think through Jesus' track record in my life, I know he's in control. I know he's good. How many times have I looked back at something hard that I didn't understand, and maybe i even questioned, like, where are you in this God? And afterwards, I realized, no, he was there. He was at work. He was providing abundantly for me, All right, I didn't see it in the moment, but afterwards I I realized he was there the whole time. This would be a good verse for us to remember. God is in control. He knows what he is doing. This side of heaven, I'm sure there will be things we don't get to understand what he was doing. But believe me, they will make sense someday. We can trust in him. But he says to Peter, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus isn't being extreme or harsh here. There's a reality that if Peter, or if anyone, isn't washed by Jesus, they have no place in him at all. If we miss these verses right here in the midst of this passage, we could think that it's only a really powerful lesson about serving people, and it is a powerful lesson about how Christians are to represent God by serving, but Jesus is also teaching us a critical truth in the foot washing, that we need to be cleansed by Jesus. If Jesus, the Lamb of God, doesn't cleanse you from sin, you have no hope. There is no salvation. Jesus is the only one who's able to wash away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can wash us white as snow. Peter doesn't get that yet. That'll come later. He'll understand, but he doesn't understand now. Verse 9 Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So Peter just kind of freaks out, even though he doesn't get what Jesus is saying about sins being washed away. He, de- he knows, he knows that he desperately wants to be connected to Jesus. So he just blurts out with no filter, Wash my hands, wash my feet as well. And then Jesus says in verse 10, The one who, th- who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. So what does it mean if, if you bathe, you don't need to wash except your feet? A lot of scholars believe that Jesus is saying that once we put our faith in Jesus, meaning you've received him as your Lord, your Savior from sin, that Jesus has cleansed you from your sin. Right, so the one, one who's bathed is, is everyone who's trusted in Jesus. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So there's no doubt that Jesus' blood is good enough to cleanse us from sin when we place our trust in him. John and 1 John goes on to say, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We need Jesus. To cleanse us from sin if you haven't trusted in jesus yet you're dead in your sin once we're cleansed from our sin it'd be great if we no longer battled with sin but we still do right we still sin i can't make it through a day without sinning whether it's out loud or in my heart in my mind through my actions or my lack of actions my impatience with others my tone of voice Even by complaining, uh, I'm sure I'm sinning against God as I complain about the circumstances he has me in. I sin, and that's a problem. And John writes about that. Even though you're a Christian, you will still battle with sin. 1 John 2, 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So brothers and sisters in Christ, as we battle sin. As we fall to sin, we need to run to Jesus, getting our feet washed regularly. He's coming to Jesus, confessing to him our sin and our need for him. We, we confess our sin. We continually come recognizing that our only hope is in the cross, that, is, that it was absolutely necessary for him to suffer and die for our sin so it could be paid for, that he was our substitute that we needed, so we come to him over and over again and confess our sin. And I encourage you, as as the epistles do, we we confess our sin to Jesus. We're also told to confess our sins to one another. And it might seem strange that that God uses that, that there's a a freedom in in confessing our sins from one another. And don't get me wrong, Jesus is the one that frees us from sin. But but by his design, when we confess our sin to one another, there's a freedom that comes with that. There's a relief in that. It puts a little healthy pressure on us as well. It gives us some accountability for others to know what we're struggling with. Harvest restoration, man, that's happening in there. It's a good thing, the confession of sin. So when Jesus says, if you've bathed or if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you're saved, daily come to me. Continually come and confess your sin to the only one who's able to deal with your sin. Picking up in the rest of verse 10, he says, And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. And We'll we'll, we'll talk more about Judas when we get to verses 18 and 19, but I do want to point out how incredible it is that Jesus would wash the feet of Judas. He's about to dismiss him from the room. He's going to get him out of there soon, and he could have sent him on his way before washing his feet. But he doesn't do that. He washes the feet of even Judas. he's shocking at every turn in this gospel we've mentioned that the kingdom of jesus is an upside down kingdom jesus does what is unexpected he's been sent by the father he's representing the father and if anyone's feet should be washed like i said earlier it should have been jesus but he does just the opposite as if it weren't good enough that he humbled himself and became a man but he washes their feet and he says you need to do just as I've done to you. He doesn't mean just wash your friend's feet once. He's telling them you're to become servants, no matter how high, how lofty their position, they are to serve. Christians should live differently. And I think all too often we look too much like the world, that we're indistinguishable from the rest of the world that doesn't know Jesus, that doesn't have hope. People that are around you somewhat regularly should be able to see That you're different, that it's because of Jesus. The way you serve others should be a part of that. I heard someone once talking about uh, how Christians should look different than the world. And he he said, What if after church, as we all got into our cars, instead of driving on the right side of the road, we drove on the left side of the road? Right? Obviously, that's chaotic. Do not do that. Um, But he's saying that we should be that different from the world. It should be that noticeable that we, we have Jesus. In us, the light, right the light that defeats darkness, we have him in us. We should be that different. I'm not saying be weird, right? There's plenty of weird Christians. We don't need more of that. Like we, we need to be holy and righteous. We need to be humble and lowly like Jesus. Jesus represented God perfectly and that should be our aim too. And I get we can't represent God perfectly, but that should tell you that it it should take some effort on our part to represent God, and and certainly a dependence on the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus well to everyone that we serve. Even if it's a menial task, we need to be empowered by God to do that task in a way that shows others Jesus. We're going to get to the vine and the branches in in a few weeks, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, not the lowest of low tasks, Verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And at first glance, this is obvious. Well, yeah, a servant's not greater. But Jesus, he's saying, if I, your master, have done this for you, if I humbled myself and washed your feet, this is the exact thing that I expect from my followers. All who serve me are to learn to live in this exact same way. It doesn't matter what authority you have or position you have in life. Jesus says, my disciples will be identified by the way they serve, like I've just served you. He says, first he says, servant and master, and then he goes on to say messenger. And I think this is a preview for the disciples. These men would be called apostles, and apostle means sent ones. They're to be sent ones. Jesus would commission them just before he ascends to be in heaven with the Father. He'd commission them to go to the ends of the earth with the message of the gospel. Bible read through people. Uh, we wrapped up Romans. In Romans 15, Paul talks about how eager he is to go and preach the gospel to new places, places that have never, ever heard about Jesus. Being a sent one was not just for the early disciples, right? not just for the early church, but it's for all followers of Jesus. We're all supposed to be on mission to tell the world that Jesus cleanses from sin. Verse 17, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. The blessing doesn't come from knowing, the blessing comes from responding to what we know. The blessing is from God. What does it mean to be blessed? I think of joy, I think of happiness, I think of fulfillment. The Greek can mean well-off or fortunate. So if you live the way Jesus is telling you to live, being a servant to all you'll be blessed if you're a servant god will bless you for that service and this seems backwards to us right who wants to tire themselves out helping somebody else helping out a neighbor when they could just be at home and relax and and it seems logical that just thinking of yourself would be the way to blessing rather than exerting your energy your your resources your time for someone else but jesus says The blessing is given to the one who serves. It's by God's design. He's the one giving the blessing to the one who serves. Verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. It's been clear throughout this gospel that Jesus is, is in control every step of the way. He's fully aware of what's going on. He's even aware of people's hearts as we see throughout this gospel. He certainly knows whom he has chosen. Though Judas is one of the 12, he is not one of his own. Jesus is in total control of this. He knows that Judas is the betrayer. He knows this and he wants the disciples to be able to look back and recognize that Jesus knows this and that Jesus is in control Essentially, in verse, 17, or verse 19, he's saying, uh, he says, I'm telling you this before it happens so that when it does happen, you won't lose your faith. I want just the opposite to happen. I want you to believe because you realize I'm sovereign even over the one that will betray me. The disciples would be reminded of Jesus' words. And the reason is so that they would not be discouraged, but they would be encouraged and that they would believe. Jesus knew this would be important for them. That if he he didn't say this, it might cause them to doubt. He knew what their faith needed. Jesus knows what your faith needs today. He knows what our faith needs. He knows how he's created us. He knows what he's given you. He knows what he will give you. The provision that, that you don't have yet, that you know nothing about, that's coming your way. Jesus knows all those things. So I'm greatly encouraged by this little window into Jesus' love for his disciples because it's easy for us to feel like God hasn't given us what we need in, in a given season or a situation. Ironically, though, I, I think that feeling like we need more from God may be exactly what we need. as He uses it to draw us closer to him, to make us more acutely aware that we need him, to be more dependent on him. He, he knows everything that we don't including the exact details of his provision for us. So when the disciples would look back at this and realize that Jesus had told them exactly what they needed, they would be encouraged in that moment, but even beyond that moment. Because when God provides for you, it builds your faith, right? It's like a building block. And as you go, you have more and more of these building blocks, more and more of these times where, yes, I saw God do that. Yes, I had no hope here, and Jesus showed up. God was doing that for them. He he was going to provide for them, not just when they would realize it, but beyond in everything that he was calling us to. He he does that for us to give us confidence In, in circumstances where we're tempted to be afraid or even to doubt God. We're foolish to forget how God has shown up for us in the past. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. I want to start with the second half of that first. Jesus said, whoever receives him receives God. There's no separation here. And we keep talking about this in John over and over again. We keep saying, you see Jesus, you see God. You receive Jesus, you receive God. We keep talking about it over and over again because Jesus keeps talking about it over and over again in this gospel. Right? There, there's no I like Jesus. I like what he's about, but I can't get with God. And I think we see a lot of that today. I think there are people that say, yeah, I'm all for Jesus, but that God of the Old Testament, I can't, I can't follow that God. And Jesus says, No, that's not how it works. You see me, you see God. I'm the perfect representation. Of God or, or vice versa you want the father like the Jews did they want the father they want nothing to do with Jesus Jesus says no it, it, it's all or nothing Jesus perfectly represented God before that he said whoever receives the one I send receives me the one I send we're Jesus representatives when we serve we demonstrate we represent Jesus to others Both within the body, people that know Jesus already, and to people that don't know Jesus yet. And we think about how important this is that Jesus chose to do this, right? Just just before the cross. Like the cross is not that far away. And this is what he decided to do. He was in full control, he knew his hour had arrived, and he bends down and washes the feet of this group of men, these disciples that he loved. So, do you happily give yourself as a servant of others? Right? Maybe, maybe your mom, your dad, your, maybe you're a boss, or you own your company. Maybe, maybe you're some award winner, you're a big deal. Are you humble like Jesus? Like Jesus, will you strip off the outer garments of success and power, high position, authority to kneel down and wash the feet of others? What are you too good to do? What's below you? What's below your pay grade? Moms and dads, do you serve your kids? And I know we can mess up our kids by doing everything for them. I'm not saying that. But, but do we serve our kids? Do we demonstrate humility? Even as the authority in the house, do we demonstrate humility to our kids? That, that we're not too good to do any task? Managers, bosses, are you different than every other non-Christ-loving boss your employees have ever worked for before? Is there something that is so different about you, the way you serve even though you're in charge? Or maybe you don't have any position of authority at all. Maybe you feel like no one looks up to you, which I truly doubt, but I'll play that game with you. I guarantee there are people that are watching Especially if someone knows you profess Jesus, they're watching you. So do, you, do we clearly show the love of Jesus by humbly serving? We, we have to speak the gospel, right? We have to speak gospel words. We also have to live lives that don't contradict the word that became flesh, right? Both go hand in hand together. Lastly, have you let Jesus clean you? He's already done everything necessary through his death and resurrection. If you haven't trusted Jesus yet, are you ready to do that? Do you believe that he can cleanse you from your sin? And, and maybe you're thinking, you don't know my sin. You don't know how I keep coming back to the same sin. But Jesus knows. He knows, and he wants to come. He wants you to come and to trust in him. He's the one that died for that habitual sin. He's the one that took on the cross for your sin that you can't even imagine confessing. Jesus loves you. Do you want to be one of his own? Let's pray. Jesus, we were blown away by your love. We're, we're shocked by who you are. That you, God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the one who, who is worthy of all the worship we can muster, that you would come you'd humble yourself by becoming man. That you'd wash the feet of these disciples. That, that you, would, you would die the death of a criminal on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Jesus, would, would we not take you for granted, Lord? Would, would we not miss what you call us to as your people? Jesus would we know first that we, we need you, we, we need you to take care of our sin? That was absolutely necessary. If there's anyone that doesn't know that Lord would you, would you stir their hearts so they can see their need for you? Jesus, for those of us that do follow you, would we be radical servants for you? Jesus, we, we live in a world that does not know you, but we know that you, you're gathering your people. And we pray that we would be a part of that, that we would be an active part of that, that we would serve and love one another in the body for sure, that we would remind each other of how great you are by the way that we humbly serve one another. Would we also do that for this world, Lord? Would we so strongly represent you by becoming lowly servants? Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.